All right, welcome back to our sixth edition of the, the Doctor, the Preacher, and God's Ten Things, Freedom and Abundant Life. This is uh, Pastor Keith Pearson. And this is Dr. Tom Salt, and uh, we're trying to figure out God's plan for a just and equitable society, and we're on number six. What is number six? Number six, by Protestant reckoning anyway, is you shall not commit adultery. Uh-oh. Yeah, this one gets all kinds of... All kinds of press and all kinds of excitement behind it, and understandably so. This is we're talking about our deepest relationships here, and oftentimes our deepest hurts. Uh, it's certainly it's based primarily, or the main the main focus or the main uh, icon of the commandment is uh, marriage and marriage relationships. Uh, but I'd even expand that a little bit further to make it covenanted relationships. When we make promises, when we enter into a covenant. Uh, we're entering into a, a, a specific promise with a specific person or group of people. So it may be between husband and wife. It may be with a business colleague. It may be uh, I, I myself, when I when I take a, a call in a congregation, I sign a letter. I am making particular promises to act in particular ways and do particular things for and with that particular group. So your word should mean something. Yes. This is a, you're establishing a relationship of trust. Yes. And, you know, uh, I mean, aside from the obvious heinous things that happen in the world, murder and rape and all of those awful things, um, violation of this particular covenant um, is really among the most hurtful things that happen to human beings. Adultery of any kind is a kind of violation different from other kinds of ordinary violations. And again, sure. excluding those really heinous kinds right. of things. So I expect my neighbor who I don't particularly like and I've not gone into deep relationship with, I would expect them to hide things from me, to not do things necessarily for my good. But when I've entered into this relationship of a promise with someone, I've got expectations. My expectations are high. And I've sort of let my guard down with that with that person or with that group Absolutely. too, because this is supposed to be somebody that I can trust and I can be a little more free with. I can be myself with. I can expose my vulnerable uh, sides of myself to, and that's I think what makes it a really dangerous thing when things go bad. Now you've you know when a, a person in that covenanted relationship takes it takes it bad, uh, goes south with it, breaks the covenant. They know all the vulnerable spots. They know how to hit you where it hurts the most. They know how to do the things that will uh, uh, tear at you to the to your deepest core. Yes, and the hurt is um, so deep that the um, interest in hurting that other person to the deep depth of their core is um, nearly irresistible. Unfortunately, I can speak from experience on this topic. I am in a second marriage, and I uh, believe I found my soulmate um, 25 years ago. But I was married before, and uh, we had an inappropriate relationship before we uh, were both divorced and then got together. But and, and I'm uh, frankly, I'm glad for the whole. I'm, I'm glad I'm married to Robin. It's a wonderful thing, um, and I wouldn't really change any of it, except I would like to have untangled before tangling. Um, the un, the getting involved um, with somebody else during a marriage, a third person, um, 
is profoundly hurtful to everybody involved. Um, it, it wasn't just hurtful to my previous wife. It was hurtful to me. It took me five years or more. I still have shame and guilt about it, so I'm not sure. over it yet. But it took me five years to really get to the point where I could even, you know, my my wife, who's much more probably psychologically stable than I am in many ways, <laughs> she she was after a year or two, she was like teasing and making jokes, and I, I it was crushing to me. We we couldn't discuss it for five years. Yeah. It was. Well, it's, it's hard to enter into a new relationship of trust while you're in the midst of a broken trust in another relationship. It's hard to make promises that you that you can stand by while you're breaking other promises. So yep. it, it's a tangle that you, you can't, that's not the easiest way to go about things. Uh, certainly, uh, there's those that will make the argument that we should never break covenanted relationships. We should never right. change uh, partners uh, regardless that's not of human. what's in and yeah, that it, number one, it, it has led us to um, marriages that were profoundly broken, that were profoundly hurtful, that were damaging in physical and psychological, emotional ways that have deep, deep hurts that last a long time, that maybe a lifetime. And that's not helpful. That is not what the covenant is for. That's a break in the relationship itself. When a partner in the relationship breaks covenant, even if it's, even if it's to... Uh, psychologically, emotionally, or physically abuse, abuse the other partner. Right. That is they've, already broken, the covenant. they've already broken the covenant. So, And there's a whole spectrum of ways that we as human beings, flawed individuals that we are, we break our promises. We have tremendous trouble keeping our promises. The best of us have trouble keeping all of our promises. I'm relying heavily on grace on that topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and there is that. So at some point, uh, it's, it's the faithful thing to do, the rational thing to do, the the God godly thing to do, to say this hurt has gone past the point that we can fix. Uh, this is supposed to be a relationship of trust, and something about this relationship has broken to the point that I can no longer give or receive that trust, and so you need to press the restart button. And I think that's that's a reasonable thing. That's that's an acceptable thing that's even a, a godly thing. We, There's a reason that we have grace as such a large part of our, our faith conversation because we need it. Yeah, we, we as God's people, we as individuals uh, are kind of have a habit of breaking our promises and God has a habit of forgiving us, but it takes something tremendous to restart and to reset that. Um, and there, there is some zone between thou shalt not, you know, in other words, mm-hmm. somehow you can never, you know, get out of a marriage yeah. and it's okay to be frivolous. Uh, I don't think we're saying either one. Uh, I think it's not okay to be frivolous. There are consequences, as I just described, about remorse and guilt and all those kinds of things. But at the same time, there's a larger, there's many multiple layers of covenants here. And one of the covenants is that, you know, you love your spouse, you love your, you love God, you love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that, that should hold even more true for your spouse. But at the same time, if it that doesn't happen, then, or if there's, physical or mental or sexual abuse involved, then that is a break of a different covenant than this one. So, yeah. but that, but again, these are different covenants. So that covenant is broken. That doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to go have an affair to make myself feel better. It really means you should find ways to empower yourself to either fix or extract yourself from this relationship. Right. 
which I didn't do. So, you know, raising well, my hand as a sinner here. Sure. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, too, if you go back to the first biblical covenant that we talk about, it's the covenant that God makes with Abraham. It's the beginning of God's resetting the brokenness in the world. So mm-hmm. we've gone through Noah and the ark and all of that, and God is kind of formulating this new plan. God is going to start a new plan, and he starts with a person. He starts with Abraham. Abraham. A very unlikely character, uh, aged beyond childbearing, uh, with a wife that's aged beyond childbearing and has not borne any children to him yet. And God makes a promise to Abraham and to Sarah that they will be the beginning of his rebuilding the world, restoring the world, fixing things. So it's a very odd thing. So the covenant uh, relationship that God starts with Abraham is really interesting. If you read this uh, in Genesis, there's this beautiful ceremony where Abraham uh, is brought into a deep sleep and uh, there's this this uh, smudge pot, a smoking pot, and God's speaking to Abraham. And there's he's had Abraham already take a bunch of animals and sort of cut them in half and lay them out on the ground. And uh, the smudge pot, uh, which is kind of God's, the presence of God, it's the theophany, God's physical presence there in that dream. The smudge pot passes back and forth between these, uh, these um, animals that have been cut in two, and God makes his promise to Abraham. What's interesting about that is uh, it's, a, it's a typical ceremony from the ancient world where two people are making a covenant. But typically, both of them walk together between those divided animals, if you will. Uh, and the promise is, if I, if we break this promise, may I, the breaker of the promise, become like these severed animals. But it's only God that, that passes between them in this covenant. Mm-hmm. So it's a one-way covenant. God has said, I promise this, and I will be good to my promise, even knowing that you, Abraham, and all of your uh, heirs that will follow, you're going to have trouble with this. You see, this is an interesting uh, issue. We, as mere mortals, try... Uh, I was listening to a guy on television many years ago, and he, he was saying, he was a CEO of some big company, and he was saying, you know, if, 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 if I make a mistake... I want you to be understanding and compassionate. But if you make a mistake, I want justice, you know. Um, and, and so so often in our human frailty, we, we, we want to hold everybody to a standard that is simply not obtainable. Mm-hmm. And yet God recognized that right away in this instance. He, he recognized immediately that we are mere humans and he is uh, omniscient. And so he could make that covenant. And he didn't even ask Abraham to walk with him. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think a lot, especially in our culture too, we maybe we maybe rush to covenant. We rush to that trusted spot before we're really ready for it. Uh, Especially in this instance, because often we're more in lust than we are in love at the beginning of a relationship. (laughs) So we jump into things before we've really figured each other out. I read an interesting article recently about from a woman that came from a culture that has where it's typical to have arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. And she's living in our culture, in our space, in our time. And but she was defending this, saying, you know, actually, why wouldn't you want to? What this means in my culture for my family is my family wants to look at this person whom I am dating. They want to know if this person is a good person. They want to know if they're a person of good character. They want to know if they really love me. Uh, so why wouldn't I want my family to help me filter through this relationship, this deep, trusting relationship that I'm hoping will be a lifetime relationship? Why wouldn't I want them to be involved in this? 
I've had many patients over the years who have had arranged marriages. Um, and as they put it, um, my, my family knows me well. Mm-hmm. And my family knows that family well. And when they arrange this marriage, they're arranging it. The two families are arranging what they believe is a good match. Mm-hmm. And then we grow together in love. And, um, you know, the statistics are kind of astounding. Arranged marriages last. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people would say, oh, well, that's because, you know, it's an oppressive blah, blah, blah. But that's not my personal experience with interviewing these arranged marriage couples um, in a free and modern society in the sure. United States. That, sure. There may be some of that happening or, sure. or maybe a lot of it happening elsewhere. But Well, and that would be a broken relationship of a different covenant. Exactly. Got, if you've got a family covenant, then that, that should be a, a two-way thing. It should be a, a community within the community. You're, so uh, I, with a grown-up daughter now who's of the marrying age, yes. yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to arrange a marriage without her input. Right. I wouldn't want to do something that would be damaging to her. So if I were to do that, that would be a kind of a break of the, of the covenant of our family. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So the, this, this larger idea of any covenanted relationship, um, we're talking specifically in, in this um, commandment, if you will, about um, adultery, but if we generalize it to covenanted relationships, it really becomes a matter of your word should be worth something. Yeah. And it, the adult thing to do when there's an issue, uh, not that I'm adult very often, but the adult thing to do if there's an issue is to deal with the issue. So if you're having difficulties within your marriage, uh, it makes a lot of sense to talk it through, and if you can't talk it through, seek out a third party, mm-hmm. uh, such as a marriage counselor or mm-hmm. a pastor or somebody, and talk it through. Gottman, um, I can't remember his first name right now, but he's written several books, one of which is called Why Marriages Thrive or Fail. He's a researcher on relationships at the University of Washington, and he has kind of an, an, a very interesting little test that I use in my practice a lot, and it's simply to ask the spouses on an individual basis outside of each other's earshot to recount their courtship. And if the recounting of the courtship is presented in some kind of positive light by both spouses, Gottman says that there's a high probability that that marriage is fixable. And But it's not easy. It might be simple, but it's not easy, right? Lots of things yeah, in life right. are simple, but not easy. But if the recount of the, of the courtship is not in a positive light, that almost always means that that relationship will come apart one way or another in the next five years. So if we have good evidence that this relationship is doomed because, you know, that one of the spouses said, well, I just wasn't good at saying no. I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I just couldn't say no or whatever the circumstance uh, it's probably good to think seriously about getting some serious counseling and coming coming to a, a decision sooner than later because right. most <laughs> often most often the couples that I see are coming way way too way late. too late 
the problems have been there a long time. They've been they've been going deep, and the herd has been building up. And they're coming to me at the last resort. And usually, what they're honestly coming to me for is permission to break the yep. break the covenant. Yeah, that's what I see very frequently. And it, and it's sad because if you if you really do go back to the beginning, they got married almost always. They got married for some reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, they had this yeah. grand um, dream together. Yeah. yeah. And it's so sad to see it come apart. Yeah. I mean, I know in my first marriage, we had grand dreams together. And I have to tell you that I I have dyslexia. I'm not the greatest test taker on the planet. And I didn't get into a U.S. medical school. Now, my wife, my ex-wife at that my wife at that time did. She got into several medical students because she was like, you know, the goody two-shoes brainiac who could take a test and get an A without studying. I, on the other hand, would tutor her and get a B, you know. Um, so so she got into a number of uh, medical schools in the U.S. I didn't get into any. I, and we decided as a couple, to her tremendous credit, to go to a foreign medical school together. That was a tremendous, could have been a tremendous sacrifice. I view having gone to a foreign medical school as a tremendous asset um, because it gave me a bigger perspective on humanity and life and the world. But, you know, in the, in the common mainstream view, she made a huge sacrifice to go to this uh, foreign medical school. Uh, and then we came back and then, um, you know, we all got trapped in the, in the doctor thing. And um, we were both doing obstetrics and she thought that she had to be present for every single birth, for every single person, for every single thing, for every single thing, for every single thing. And that meant that there was no time for us. And I was guilty of that, too, in a different arena. Uh, I was really into surgery, so I was being present for every single surgery I could possibly get my hands on. And the saying in that day was the problem with being on call every other night is that you miss half the cases. So, you know, we allowed our God of work separate us. And then it became um, irreparable when we each sought uh, comfort and refuge elsewhere. Yeah. And there would have, I'm pretty sure there was a better way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, relationships are hard. They're very hard. It's, it is not a simple thing and it takes a lot of work. And I think people underestimate that and people start out with the idealistic and that's and that's one of the things as I counsel couples entering into marriage that we do a survey tool and one of the things that the survey tool highlights is idealistic distortion yeah. so how how much of rose-colored glasses are we bringing into this relationship isn't it cute he never puts the yeah. cap on the on the <laughs> toothpaste yeah what's cute now becomes annoying in a few yep. months yeah so yeah those are things we need to recognize <laughs> and I think that's 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 fair. That's part of it. And it, it does take work. Um, the other thing that I'd say is, is this is uh, profoundly who we are. Uh, one of the stories out of the Bible, the Genesis story, as the creation story is unfolding, and each step along the way, God steps kind of steps back and says, oh, this is good, and this is good, and the next thing, and this is good. And you step back to the whole thing, and it's, it's very good. And then the very first thing that God declares is not good. He says, it's not good that the human being should be alone. It becomes clear, even abundantly clear to God himself, that human beings by themselves are not good. They, we, we need each other. And so God creates the second human being. And this beautiful uh, language coming when the first human being sees the second human being, he says, this, this at last is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. In other words, when I see this other person, I see myself. Mm-hmm. 
uh, not perfect, not not without work, but definitely uh, something that we ultimately need, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in community or family, uh, we need other people. And, we, and those relationships are hard, but they're worth working at. And they're worth forgiveness over our imperfections because none of us are perfect. Uh, and at some point, maybe relationships get damaged to the point that we need to hit the reset button, but that's okay too. Uh, but I think we need to hold this covenanted relationship as something that is really, really difficult, but really, really worthwhile because we all need it and we all depend on that trustable, defendable, uh, you've got my back sort of relationship. Absolutely. Um, I, I always think, um, I, I, I view humans as herd animals. Some people think of us as pack animals. I don't think we're pack animals at all. I think we're herd animals. We depend on each other. We are we are interdependent, mm-hmm. not only in our um, marriage relationships, but in all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, that interdependence is not a bad thing. It is a very, very good thing. Yeah. Collectively, we are bigger than we are alone. And collectively, we can do more than we can do alone. And unfortunately, we can do more bad collectively and more good. So if we try to focus, you know, our, not to get too political, but it's always amazed me since I was a little kid that we're willing to spend about a jillion dollars on one bomb, but we won't spend a quarter of that on diplomacy. Um, But if, if we were to spend more time on interpersonal diplomacy in our own lives... Imagine the kinds of relationships we could form. If we focused on, uh, as a Christian, I'm third. There's God, there's everybody else, and then there's me. And if, if we all thought of the world that way, imagine the kinds of wondrous things that could be accomplished. Well, I think that brings us full circle back to the to the covenant, back to this commandment, back to the whole setting. This whole thing is God's way of saying, you are now free people. I want you to be free people. This is how free people live. And free people need these covenanted relationships. And you need to stick to them. You need to defend them. You need to, to hold on to them and go through the difficulties to make it work. Uh, I think that's that's what this is all about. I agree, and I think that's full circle. I just want to say uh, live in awe and live in compassion. Amen.